just going to catch you up real quickly. We're in the New Testament until from now until basically um, the end of the session, which will be about mid-May is when we'll end this session on kingdom and kingdom government. But what we've landed on is that God has to have a way to rule the world. And by the world, we mean the angels, the spirits, the beings, and the humans and creation. And we've landed on that that's the government of God, which is what our title has been, kingdom, the government of God. God has to govern it. Somebody's got to be in charge or it gets chaotic. And it God was, and it got chaotic. There was a rebellion. And we've pulled it all out to the New Testament. And what we have found out is that God's government is so that his glory will be known across the entire earth. So anytime God's government is not found, what you will find is not his glory. And anytime his government is found, you will find his power and his authority working. The key and the issue is, and it's always to me been this, is that God chooses his government to work with human beings. We said it a few weeks ago, and that becomes the challenge because the challenge anytime you work with a human being is we human beings have great ability to ruin it and shift it and change it and uh, put our own twist on what we think government is. And so the challenge becomes is how does God govern through human beings? How does he get his glory to planet earth, his power, his authority here so that people know him when he's working with you and I, broken people, our past affects us, our upbringing affects us, our history, our stories that we've had. And then we come and we say, hey, get born again. Your whole life will change. And so what I want to teach tonight is going to set the stage of how can God be so certain that he can work with us? And how can his, when I say government, how can his rule, his authority, the things I read in the Bible, the fruit that I read in the Bible, how can this manifest? How can the prayer Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How can heaven manifest in my life, in my marriage, in my health, in my personal life, my character, the fruit that I live out of my life? And so what I'm going to kind of set the stage tonight, uh, it probably is going to be about a three-part lesson, but we're going to just dig the post holes tonight. We're going to pour the concrete in because what we share tonight is going to be built on for the rest of this semester. So this is going to be very foundational to what God is trying to do because if what I share tonight does not happen, then the likelihood that God's kingdom will manifest on earth will be slight. And here's the thinking. It wasn't a dog, a giraffe, an elephant, a rat, mm, uh, a tick. It wasn't any of those things that caused the problem. So what we know of God's creation, whales, giraffes, tigers, that they, they obeyed. They weren't the problem. As a matter of fact, God did not even give them any kind of thing like don't eat that. So what we assume when God made them is that tigers didn't eat uh, gazelle. And we even say that in our theology. We're like, one day the lamb will lie down with the lion. And we all clout and go, because eh. what we know is we throw a lamb in with a lion at Atlanta Zoo, it, the lamb loses <laughs> because the lion eats it. But obviously, in the beginning, before there was uh, a sinful behavior, the nature of the animals was obedience. It was built into them because they were created by God. And my intention is that there was nothing in the animal that could rebel. It was subject to the rule of the human so that the tree couldn't rebel. The birds can't rebel. They're required to obey for whatever reason. We won't go there. I, I know the reasons, but we'll leave them alone. They can't rebel. So what we find out about the animals is the moment a human rebels, the animals become subject to the bondage of that. And then when they become subject to the bondage of that, chaos rules and lambs eat lions and alligators eat dogs and we kill each other, the animal kingdom. But the animal kingdom that's in chaos is in chaos because it was subject to what a human did. Even the Bible says all creation is groaning to be released. Well, it wasn't there 
their rebellion that caused them to groan. It was the human's rebellion who ruled over it all. And the moment he sinned, we all became subject to this thing. So the issue is not can God use a well or a bird or a raven or a dove. The issue, a donkey even in the New Testament, the issue is can God use a human? And if God can use a human, does he use humans forcefully? And we can debate that. That whether you want God to use you or not, he raised up Pharaoh for such a time as this and all hell broke loose and God's like, yep, but I did that. I raised him up for such a thing as that. So if we're not careful, we think, well, it's all just a pawn anyway. What does it matter? What do I matter? God's going to do. He's God. He can force humans to do whatever humans want to do. But if that be true, if God could force a human, then Adam would have never eaten the fruit. So God could force humans, but God doesn't force humans. God backs off and he gives humans the freedom to do what humans do, knowing that humans will rebel against him. And yet God still gives them the freedom, knowing they can create the chaos. Why? Why would God trust a human knowing we're going to create the chaos, knowing we're going to create the problem, and yet use us anyway without forcing us? He's not going to force me to serve him. If things fall apart in my life and we go, well, that was God, it's because I rebelled against him and you reap what you sow. If you're apart from God, death works. So death is going to work whether the earth swallows you or a well swallows you. Or... But in the thinking of God using us humans, here's, this is the, uh, the um, stone and cement I'm laying tonight. It doesn't bother God that we can fail and rebel because the way God has chosen to govern, he trusts it to be certain. He, I said this last week, he trusts himself, not you. So all he asks of me is to trust him back. He trusts himself and he says of me, trust me. Now how would a human trust him? You obey his wisdom. Well, if his wisdom says that, I do it. Why? Because it's his wisdom. I don't understand it. It's illogical, but I do it. That's how I prove trust. If you want to know whether you trust God, you would have to say, do you obey him? Because obedience if in, in its purest form would be motivated out of love and trust, not fear and rebellion. Like he's going to get me if I don't. So then what is the system? Here it comes. We, it's the same we looked at last week. We're going to pick it up. Acts chapter 1. It's not going to be new to you, but we're going to dig it deeper. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized, and here it comes, with the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him and asked, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times, the dates, or the seasons. The Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so what we understand about God working, and we understand about what he's going to do with us, is that God is going to entrust us to the Holy Spirit. So everything God working on planet Earth is going to have to do with a human's relationship to the Holy Spirit. And if I can find out, and I'm going to teach you in the next weeks ahead, we won't do it tonight, but I'm going to teach you in the weeks ahead, how does a human who is bent to fail bent to rebel, bent to want our own way, bent to want freedom the way I think freedom should be expressed, how does that human accomplish anything for God? And we answer by a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's how God intended it. The entire Old Testament was set up to prove you fail. If you want to know what the Old Testament was, it wasn't so you could have a devotion on who King David was. It wasn't so you could have a proverb of day to keep the, the devil away. The entirety of the Old Testament is showing you humans 
fail God. Every one of them failed him. Even the one he said is a man after my own heart, murdered a dude and slept with his wife. So when we come to the Old Testament, it was set up to show us you fail. And because I know you're so stubborn, you humans, I gave you 4,000 years to prove it. And by the time God showed up in the flesh, we were so arrogant, we thought we could pull it off without his help. That's the Pharisees. We, we tow the line. We won't even get a donkey out of the ditch. We won't even walk more than 12 feet on the Sabbath. And he's like, y'all are all just sons of the devil anyway. But I had convinced myself I don't need power. I had convinced myself I can keep my own self pure. I can keep my own self. Even Paul, the apostle Paul will say of himself, in, in my own thinking, I was blameless and, and I told the line beyond everybody else. But when I compared it to this, it was a futility. I had to count it as dung, as worthless, as nothing. So there is an aspect, this is my opinion, so I'm, I'm throwing this first to you. There's something very beautiful about starting with the point of you're a failure. It's just best to go ahead and get it out of the way. To stop trying to make God happy. To stop trying to think God likes you if you do enough for him. You have to just come to him with, I am lost and I'm inept and I'm powerless. It's what Paul will say. Before he even saved you, you were powerless to do anything about it. So starting from I'm powerless lends me into I need the Spirit of God. There's nothing more arrogant than a human being thinking I can please God and do his will and have no relationship with the Holy Spirit. I can just grit my teeth, read the Bible, be religious, go to seminary, don't get tattoos, don't wear skirts, wear skirts, wear make, don't wear makeup, do wear makeup. I can do this, I can do it. And God's like, you're just foolish. There's something very freeing to just raising your hand and saying, I was lost in sin. I was powerless to do anything about it. And not one thing I do for him is nothing more than a filthy rag. When you start there, it, you don't really get hung up on, is the Spirit of God for today or has he passed away? If the Spirit and his gifts have passed away with the apostle on the Isle of Patmos, you think we can pull this off? Because we're losing right now. So don't look around and do you think we're winning? Just look at culture. So if anybody says, well, I don't believe the Holy Spirit's here today and the gifts aren't here today, the best way to confute that is say, so we got smart enough that we didn't need God's help? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? We got so wise and so Googled minded that we don't need him anymore? Yeah. Well, now preacher, we got the Bible now. And I'm like, Oh, no, no, no. All the Jews had the written, the written prophecies and they couldn't pull it off. They had the very words of God written to them and they couldn't pull it off. So let's don't act like all I need is the Bible. There's a lot of people who read the Bible but have no life at all. It goes to the Holy Spirit. Here's the thought. The work of Jesus Christ, this is where it gets interesting. The work of Jesus Christ brings us back to the intent of God's kingdom government. So if we want to know what was the intent of his government, we go and start with Christ. We just look at Christ. The Holy, here's the intent. The Holy Spirit intertwining me with God's will and wisdom in order that his power and glory can be known. I'll let you fill in the blanks, but I want to hold on to the word intertwining. I did not highlight it, but... Let your eyes view it. The entirety of God's intent was to bring us to a place that we are hopeless unless we're intertwined with the Spirit. So powerful this is. 
that the, that the start of the Bible, we don't get two verses in till we're introduced to the Spirit. So powerful this is that God cannot even get himself to come into a woman's womb and be born without the help of the Holy Spirit. So powerful this is that the Son of God cannot raise his own self from the dead. Romans 1, Romans 6, it was the Spirit of God that raised him from the dead. So powerful this is the Son of God, Jesus, the spotless lamb born of the Virgin Mary could do nothing until he was baptized and intertwined with the Spirit. So how dare us? So let me just start here. If the Son of the living God, born in the flesh, needed the help and power of the Holy Spirit, You think you're Jesus? That's what I mean by how futile this is. God himself, watch now, God himself could not put the son into the womb of the woman Mary without the help of the Holy Spirit. Come on. How will this happen? The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. God the Father, if we believe in the Trinity, and I do, God the Father said, I can't even put the word to flesh without the Spirit working. God the Father, I cannot even raise my son from the dead without the Spirit working. Are you getting it? So the kingdom government of God, in a nutshell, if I could defined in the last 20 weeks of teaching in a nutshell kingdom government is the intertwining of God's Holy Spirit with humans that's what it is now we'll mess that up (laughs) we will get carnal we'll get super smart not like we don't need it we'll push it away because the, the, the moment you say Holy Spirit that means weird people We'll push it away. I don't like weird people. There's the tongue talkers and all those people that fall out and you have to catch them and they run and they blow shofars and they wave banners around and now I'll just just get rid of that. And we'll just try to sing songs and read the Bible and do religious things together and have good church picnics and small groups and But if God needed the Spirit to do what God needed to do, then surely we humans do. Come on, right? Let's do it. Let's just start breaking it out so it's not just opinion. I'll give you some Bible on it. First book of the Bible, first verse of the Bible. In the beginning. So what that means is before any human opinion, before a seminary, before the King James Bible... Before Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, Church of God in Christ, whatever denomination we want to throw, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And verse 2, we're introduced to the Spirit. In one verse, we're introduced to the problem and the remedy. The problem and the remedy. The problem, formless and empty. That's a problem. Darkness, we know by the New Testament that darkness is not really a friend of God. God is light and in him there's no So we have a problem. The remedy to the problem was not worship music, a new, a new church. The remedy to the problem, and we taught this in the Genesis class and in the Holy Spirit class, the remedy to the problem was the breath of God. It was his spirit. So when you think spirit, we must be careful because we'll we'll immediately link that up to a person, like a denomination or an experience. Oh, God, spirit. (laughs) Those those people that go, (laughs) and I understand that, right? Like, that's normal. But before there was ever any of that, the spirit was linked to the breath of God. That God would breathe upon it, and whatever he breathed upon... So in these two verses, this is where I'm going tonight, and I'll try to dig it deep for you. 
in these two verses resides the pattern of God's government. Before there was ever a human that was the problem, before there was ever a tree of life or an animal, before there was a sun, moon, and stars, we're introduced to God's government. And it was the very beginning. We can't get around it. Here's the thought. The government of God is always working toward a certain end. Now here's the end. The end of God working in your life is not to give you a new house, a new car, a new dog, a new wife, a new spouse. Those things are great and he can and he does. He says pray and we would call those blessings of God, the favor of God. And those are true things. You, you live your life according to his ways and there's blessings, there's favor. But his intent of it all is that from the very beginning, before we had checking accounts and problems and credit card debt and diseases and all the things, the tragedies of life we humans do, God showed us that the certainty of everything he does is whatever he forms, he's always going to fill it. It's the standard of how he works. His end result of everything is to fill it. If you want to know what kingdom government is, it's to fill what? The earth and the fullness thereof from glory to glory that his glory would be known through the earth. Jesus talking to the disciples from Jerusalem to Erion Jaya, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of what? Yes, yeah, to fill the whole thing. God's design has been to fill it. God's design is not for another church on the corner. We'll put them there. But his design is to fill his people, not fill uh, acres up, not fill buildings up. Because if that be true, Christians should be winning because we've got a lot of buildings with a lot of people. But it's that God is going to fill it with himself. Now, if you go back and you look at this, here's what begins to happen. And God said, day one, let there be light. There was light. God saw it. And the light was good. And here, here's what becomes interesting about his government. His government, when it's working, will always separate that which is his and that which isn't his. Amen. Always. So if you really want to know, is God's government in my life? You just have to look and say, is there a separation? Now, as we play this out, it becomes really clear as we walk it out. Because as I'm walking this out, it shows up everywhere. God says to the Israelites, separate yourself. Don't intermarry with those people. You stay here, not because I'm trying to build a, a racial thing here, but I'm trying to bring holiness to you. Separate yourself. Uh, New Testament, die to yourself. Separate yourself unto me. So this is a kingdom principle where God's doing it. Now in his work, what God is starting to do, if you ever study it, I'll be brief with this, the first three days of creation, God is forming it. So day one, let there be light. Day two, separate the, the land from the sky and create the sky. Day three, he creates the grass, the mountains, the trees. So that's filling it. He's forming it, I mean. He's getting it ready. He's getting the dirt ready. He's getting the water ready. He's getting the trees ready, the grass ready, the seeds ready. He's got the light. He's got the darkness separated. He's got the sky. He's got the rain above and... Day four, five, and six, he fills it. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. Day five, animals and fish and birds. And day six, humans and more animals. Then after the forming, first three days, and after the filling, the third three days, the last three, he rests. So God is working towards something. And here it is. His forming and his filling of God's kingdom government is to produce a distinct separation between light and darkness. So by the time we come into the New Testament, we are going to see that if you really want to know whether God is working, there is a distinction between light and dark. John 1, in him was light. He was the light of life and he came to dispel the darkness of men. And this battle that's going on that God is trying to produce, but what is he trying to produce? A distinct separation between the two families. Between his family, that we would say is light, 
and the enemy's family, which we would say darkness. Jesus would say, your father, who was the father of Abraham, and then he would say, this father was Lucifer himself. Two fathers trying to produce something, but there has to be a separation. This is what the government is about. So how could God, when every human in this room fails, every human in this room has been, I hope you've been, if not, we'll counsel you, You've been in this realm. Some of you a lot longer than others, and some of you are still there with a foot in. Some of us have been delivered. Come on, amen? <laughs> some of us, it's still our buddy, and we meet up with it every weekend. But the, but the thing of it is, it was intended, how could God take an entire group of humans that are bound with darkness and pull them in such a way that they could produce something that would show a distinction of God's reality. Well, it's not more rules because we break them all. So the way that God could take a human being who fails and produce something in you so powerful that those who don't know God look at your life and go, you're different. Well, let's don't get too arrogant, that's not us. It's the intertwining of the spirit. It's why many people can confess Jesus, but not everybody makes the lost jealous for Jesus. Big difference. We all can confess Jesus to skip hell, but does your life make the lost jealous for him? Now, that would only be the Holy Spirit because there's nothing about religion that we're jealous of. I don't need another rule. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't hang around those dudes, don't get tattoos. I don't need those rules. Nothing freeing about religion. But when I introduce somebody to Jesus and I introduce somebody that's met him and truly found freedom and truly come out of the darkness and said there's no greater way to live because I'm not living rules and religion. I'm living in an intertwined relationship with God's breath and will and I have discovered what it means to really live free. Now, at first, they may look at you like you're smoking weed, but the reality is if they hang out with you long enough, you'll be different. Your marriage is different. Your talk is different. The way you respond to life is different. You're, and it's not you again. It's, it's the reason so many people do their devotions, but it takes about a burp before they lose it in the flesh. And then it's, oh, just forgive me. It's just my flesh. It's just, and I'm like, well, is this, is this the best it gets? We're just always, oh, just forgive me. That's just over my flesh. I've had a bad day. Oh my God, I've had a bad day. And I'm like, so the only time we get free is when he comes and gets us? Because if that's true, I'd just soon hold off and then just right at the last minute, throw up a prayer and get there. <laughs> so there has to be something that intrigues me to want to live this out. And, and what it's going to be is that I, I, I'm not just formed in salvation, but I'm filled and intertwined. Now, it is the forming that brings me out of darkness, and it's the filling that produces something worthwhile. A lot of people are out of darkness, and they'll go to heaven because if you confess, believe, you get in. But the goal is not getting in. The goal is spreading out here and bringing his glory to earth. So then the filling is how I produce something, which I think if we were honest, we would say there's a lot of Christians who aren't producing anything to spread to the earth. What we produce is flesh and anger and fits and pouting. And so here's a thought. The entirety of the forming, filling, and separation I've said this, but it's in a thought here, so you can keep it in your notes. The entirety of the forming, filling, and separation is a work that is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. So what we could say, without taking time to teach it, what we could say is that the reason Adam sinned is not necessarily because a tree had so much power, but because in the conversation with the serpent that they were having, 
they became more intertwined with that conversation than with God. They intertwined themselves in another conversation. Because if you find out it wasn't the serpent forcing her to eat it. He didn't shove it down her throat, which is how most people think the devil is. Like he's just shoving the fruit down your throat. You're going to eat this whether you want to eat it or not. It's not how he works. He just sits there and he, just, he doesn't even touch it. As a matter of fact, according to scripture, the serpent never even touched it. He just stood by it and said, come on now. You know, if you eat that, you're going to be just like God. So it wasn't that, you know, I mean, the Bible does say it was pleasing to her. It looked good for food, pleasing to the eye, desiring to make her wise. But the reason all of that began to happen is she intertwined herself to another conversation. So my belief is the way that we begin to bear fruit is I have to learn. I'm going to teach you this in the next three or four weeks. It'll, it'll take about that long. I have to learn how to communicate here. My conversations need to be here. Holy Spirit. Now, I, I would venture, I don't have the stats, but I would venture many Christians have no clue what I just said. What are you talking about? You conversate with this. You're, you're losing it now. You, you mean I talk to nothing because I can't see the spirit? What does he sound like? What does he look like? How do I know it's me and not him? How do I know it's him and not me? What if it is me? What if it's him? What if, oh God, I have no idea. Was that me or is that him? I mean, I did want to punch my wife, so that's probably not him. But it could be him because what if she's going to punch me first and I need to be on it? Like literally, you watch the torment that comes from Christians trying to discern this conversation. Oh, that's just you. That's not God. It is God. Show me a scripture. I don't have a scripture. Then it's not God. It sounds like God. Well, it could be, it could be the devil. Well, the devil wouldn't want me to be blessed. Oh, yes, he would. He would want you blessed because he'll distract you and destroy you through a blessing. And then we're all just like, well, the best is to sit and be stupid and wait on him to come back. Just hurry up, hurry up, hurry up and come get us, God. This place is going to hell in a handbasket. Preacher, when do you think he's coming? Another blood moon? I bet he's coming this year. Now, the reason I want him to hurry up and come is because I've lost conversation. Because when I'm conversating with him, he's like, we need to hang out a little longer. There's more people that need to repent. Suck it up, boy. I'm not coming back yet. Why? I wish you'd come get me. Life's so hard. I'm stuck on 285. All right. I know. I know. But listen, I've even told you the reason I'm waiting so long is I need more people to repent. But if nobody's listening to the power that sends you to witness, then nobody's going to be repenting. So y'all just sit back, buckle up. It's going to be another thousand years before I come. So the longer we Christians push the spirit back and try to do it ourselves, I think the longer he waits before he comes. Because he wants people to know him. And this, we're not going to go there tonight, but this was the power that would put you in the streets so people could know him. Does that make sense? Genesis 2. Now watch, it all plays out. So what I'm going to take you through is it, it's not just a sermon, it's a system of his government that he's forming, he's filling, he's separating, and he does all of that with the Spirit. So then the Lord God, here we go with the man, formed the man. There's the forming. And he formed him from the dust of the ground. And then he breathed the breath. That breathed the breath is the spirit into man's nostrils. And the man became what? The man became alive. So we see that the way God does his government before he ever tells man, now here's what I need you to do, multiply, replenish the earth, take charge, take dominion, all those really great words that in the King James sound so powerful. Before he ever gave him a job description, he formed him, he filled him, and the dude became alive. No rules, nothing, just alive. Now, the moment he became alive, God begins to share wisdom with him. God doesn't share wisdom to the dirt. He shared the wisdom after the life. In other words, the wisdom of God always comes after 
the breath of God. Otherwise, it's just your own thinking and your own logic. It's why you can find people that have never been spirit-filled, read their Bible, and then they come into a relationship, they get baptized with this power, and they're like, man, my Bible became alive. It's not, like I said last week, the Bible didn't become bigger. It's that God began to breathe on it. And it just comes off the page. Like, I never saw that before. So let's know this. He was a living person before he had any rules. He was a living person before he took dominion. And so before God could give a human wisdom and authority and dominion and he could multiply, that person had to be alive through the Holy Spirit. Now that's why when Jesus in the New Testament will talk to his disciples, he will not allow them to go out into the streets to proclaim his resurrection until he's breathed on them. You must receive power. Yes, you're a living person because I've resurrected and you believe in me. But before I start downloading the wisdom and the work, remember, wisdom and work, we're going to look at that in a minute, I've got to endue you with power. Because I cannot share my wisdom until you've been endued with my power. So I'm going to breathe on you, and he does in the book of Acts. And now as soon as he does... Acts 2, and he breathes on them, and the Spirit baptizes them. It's as if Peter had an epiphany of revelatory wisdom. Because before Acts 2, they have no clue what's about to happen. What are y'all doing? I don't really know. We're waiting. What are you waiting on? I don't really know. He said, power. What is it going to look like? I don't know. I mean, I, we, we've walked on water. That was cool. We watered a wine, but we have no wine here. I, we did the loaves and fish, and we could use some more cheese sandwiches. We're, we've, been here nearly, we've been here nearly 10 days, and it's hot in here. So what do you think he's going to do when he says power? I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. We, we don't even, he didn't tell us. He just said, wait in this room until I've endued you with power. How long are we waiting? He didn't tell us. He just said, wait. Well, then how will you know that power came? We don't know because we don't know what it is. Now, that would be weird to wake up with a heartburn because you ate a bad piece of fish and you're like, it's here. And they're like, what? I'm burning. I'm burning. I know it's God. I feel it burning in me. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. So we would say without a a quintessential definition, random people could have thought it was something. It's getting hot in here. It must be the spirit. No, it's, it's you're in the Middle East with no air conditioning. So, but when it showed up and they were baptized and fire rested on their head, Something happened because these living people got breathed upon by power and the dust got a revelation because in an instant, Peter says, oh, I will tell you what this is. This is that that was prophesied by Joel. It just came now. Without a doubt, we know now what it means to be baptized with power. And your young men and your old men will prophesy and dream, dream. I mean, he literally goes on a soliloquy of a prophetic sermon. And I just challenge myself that I question, can a fisherman know that much scripture? I don't know. I'm not saying all fishermen are dumb, but it lends itself that Peter was not the top rung of religion. He could have been, but that old boy stands up and just begins to prophesy from the beginning of time to the upper room and quoting Joel and prophesying. And then when they all go, what must we do? He goes, repent. And 3000 people get born again. So maybe the reason we're all going, I don't know why revival won't come is because nobody wants to be breathed on. I don't want him to mess my life up. I don't want to wait on something. I just want him to touch me and bless me and put gas in my car. So what we have is in God's kingdom government, here's the thought. This is where I want to take you because um, 
I'll read it slowly, but this is where I'm going to take you over the next several weeks. In God's kingdom government, here's the thought. In his kingdom government work, there is always the from to the to. T-O. God is always taking you from something to something. God doesn't do very well with stagnant. Revelation, I'd rather you be hot or cold. It doesn't mean he'd rather you be a sinner or a saint. Don't go there. Because I don't think God, Jesus would say, I'd rather you just be a sinner. Right. He means whatever you are, you need to be all in. Yes. If you're cold, be cold. If you're hot, be hot. I just don't like this mediocre thing. Right. It doesn't work. This transitional state of being is a union of the Holy Spirit with the chosen vessel. I'm about to take you through 12 things in the Bible where we go from something to something. And every time we go from to to, you will note a supernatural involvement of God in every one of them. So that as God, the from picks me and you, humans, the chosen vessel, broken, rebellious, snotty nosed, he goes, eh, don't worry about it. Because I'm going to take you to something. It's going to blow your mind. And then we freak out and go, how? And God's like, I'm going to teach you how. And he begins an entire narrative of the Old Testament teaching me how he goes from to 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 bring me to the New Testament and make it a reality. Here's the first one. God takes a formless earth and he fills it. That's Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2. Number two, God transitions from dark to light. And darkness covered the face of the earth, but God, what did God do? The spirit breathed and the moment the spirit moved, light came. The moment God spoke, filling started happening. So in between the form and the two, the from and the two, there's always, I got a red arrow, there is always the supernatural effort of God. The third was the seed. This is God speaks to the seed. And, he, now, and the funny thing about God when he creates, he didn't create apple trees first. He created the seeds and then the seeds grew into it. Because he wanted to teach us that he's always going from something to something. He could have easily just made an apple tree. But the Bible says that he produced seeds of all kind and they had to reproduce after their kind. Because God wanted us to know, well, yeah, absolutely I could do that. But the way I do it is I start here and then I start adding my miracle working involvement. The next is he took a lump of dust but he breathed into it, and by the time he was done breathing, you're the result of that. It was a living being. Number five, we went from life to death. They had life. Dust became a living being. They had life, but we went from life in rebellion, and we went to death. Now, at this moment, this, the script flipped. Because before, we had God going from something kind of chaotic to something amazing. Something that wasn't all that to something that was mind-blowing. I don't know if you know this, but you really can't live off seeds. But if you'll give them time, you can doggone eat a good banana. Right? But I've not seen anybody get fat eating, eating an apple seed. You just get all kind of issues in your intestines. So then he does dust. Great. He just creates dust, breathes in it, and it becomes a human. Now here's where the script flips. Because humans have life, but rather than going from life to life, from glory to glory, from faith to faith, which will all play out in the future that God calls us to. He says, nah, I'm not going from faith to faith, glory to glory. I'm going to go from life to death. And the moment they chose to reverse it and go downhill, we've been going downhill ever since. 
Because anytime anything ever denies the supernatural involvement of God, we go downhill. No matter how much we paint it, no matter how much we, whatever we do, it's a downhill run. Here's number six. God took a tree and turned it into an ark. Come on. You say, well, what's so supernatural about that? Because that was Noah's work. Well, here's the supernatural thing. No man comes up with a tree to float all the animals of the world without supernatural wisdom to do it. Because he wouldn't have known how big to build it or how to do it or why do it because I don't even know. And then once he built it, how do I get all the animals there? So sometimes you don't understand what's going on, but it's, it, the supernatural is, is that God is going to give the revelation of what to do with the tree that seems so natural. That's his involvement, his wisdom. Here's number seven. He took a rock and he turned it into the law. And, and don't, don't think, this is powerful, a rock. But the moment he wrote on it, if you disobey it, you get worms. You fall apart, you die, the earth opens up and kills you. What? Explain that to me, it's a rock. Well, it was a rock, but then I touched it with my finger, now it's my law. Right? So, gold and wood, we've talked about this. He took a lump of gold, he took a bunch of wood, and he said, make the Ark of the Covenant. No big deal. It's a piece of wood, it's some poles, it's some gold. But the moment God put his spirit on it, if you touch it, you die. You carry it the wrong way, you drop dead. Well, it's just gold and wood. Yes, it's just gold and wood until I get involved, and then it's so supernatural it'll put you to death. So this is how he's starting to work his government. He wants you to know there's first the natural, and then he in, intertwines the supernatural, and the supernatural starts showing forth his glory. Okay. All right. Here's number nine. It's just a piece of cloth and it's just a tent in the middle of the desert until God shows up and lives in it and it becomes the tabernacle. Right. It becomes his home. And oh, by the way, this was so supernatural. It, it was very, how we talked about, it, you just better be careful how you go into there. Yeah. It was just brick and stone and Solomon put all the bricks and stone together and called it the temple. And the moment he called it the temple, the Bible says, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. But the glory of the Lord didn't fill the temple until somebody put all the bricks and stones together. Uh, the glory of the Lord didn't fill the tabernacle until somebody did something with the cloth and the tents. The glory of the Lord didn't hit the ark until somebody had the golden wood. And the law didn't come until somebody went up on the mountain and got the rock. So you see what God is doing is that he's working with human beings to pull out his glory. Because God could easily make a tent. He made the world. He could have easily said, now you stupid humans, sit back and watch what I do. Crafts him a little tent, blows it and a tent comes up. He goes, now that is a tent. I'm going to go live in it. He could have done the same with the ark. Sit back, Noah. Watch what I'm about to do. Trees come forth and roll thyself into the shape of a boat. And all the trees just, yes, sir. They all start falling. Their limbs come off. They stack themselves up. And he just sits back and Noah's like, this is amazing. God's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. You are going to build me a boat. I'll be back in a hundred years. Good luck. Do it exactly like I told you. You are going to make me a tent. When your tent's finished, I'll live in it. You are going to make me a box. When your box is done, just like I said, I'll live in it. God is always, always willing to work with humans because he knows if humans will give him half the chance, you will see things that will blow your mind. And his glory will establish itself upon the earth. And yet we don't like this. We call this the flesh. Ew, it's just fleshly. It's just wood. It's just sticks and trees and rocks and tents. And I'm like, yes, yes, and yes, and yes. Jesus was flesh. Your flesh. God's not worried about that. 
because he knows himself. He knows his own power. He knows his own ability. Number, number 11 and 12. It was the womb of Mary. It's just the womb of a woman. Anybody, any woman can have a baby. But when the Holy Spirit breathed on her womb, the Son of God was there. And the final one is, Christ, the Son of God, dead, buried, and resurrected. But when he breathed upon human beings, he said, you're my body. You're mine. And the supernatural work, we'll talk about that, number 12 in the future. That supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of the church was the work of the Holy Spirit, Son of God, work of the Holy Spirit, temple work of the Holy Spirit, tabernacle work of the Holy Spirit, Ark of the Covenant work of the Holy Spirit. The law was the work of the Holy Spirit. All of it was a work of the Holy Spirit. Now let's come to what I said at the very beginning. I made the statement that Jesus shows the intent of God's government. Now if what I taught is true, that means when God shows up on the scene, he has to live the plan that he's established or it's not true. In short, God was never asking you to hold yourself to the standard that it was so cheap that he wouldn't hold his own self to it. So the standard he put out there, you just obey me, do what I told you, I'll put my anointing and spirit on it, and this incredible things will show forth, the glory will show forth. Now when he shows up, you would think he would say, well, it's me, it's me in the flesh, it's God, it's the Son, it's... But, but it's such a powerful principle that God bound his own self to it. So he brings the Son, here comes the Son. In the beginning, the word already existed. That's wild. And the word was with God. So Jesus, with the word, was up there with God. And the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So before Jesus, the son, ever became the flesh, the son, he existed in the eternity past. And it said, and God created everything through him. That's Genesis 1 and 2. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. Verse 4, and this word gave life to everything that was created. And his life, here we go again, life bringing light, going from to, and it comes and it shines in the darkness. God's holding his own self to these standards, this separation, this light and darkness, this from something to something. And it goes on in verse 14. Here's where it's brilliant. And the word, which was eternity past, the word that was always there, became flesh. It became something. Now, when you read that, it's so romantic. But what that means is the eternal word bound himself to nine months into the dark womb of a woman. And accordingly, we would have to say we would believe this, Accordingly, based on the story that we read in the New Testament, he didn't put a fully nine-month-old Jesus already formed in her womb. Otherwise, Mary would have been like, yes, Lord, be it unto me. <gasps> oh, this is going to be difficult. Because by the time she goes to see Elizabeth, it says that she was about four months pregnant. So what that alludes is the baby is growing what that alludes is, is that the eternal word that will become flesh didn't come down with fingers and toes and a mind and eyes. It came down and this become was it went from something word to something flesh inside the dark womb of a woman. How could this happen? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. So know this about the spirit. Sometimes the spirit is working and you don't even feel it. Sometimes the spirit is working and you see it and feel it, but there's no fruit. And sometimes it's pain and suffering and you wonder where it's all at. And sometimes it's, ah, glory. And you see the fruit. But I, I present to you, most Christians don't do well with becoming. Mm -hmm. 
So the word from became flesh too. Now this is where we're going to hold the next several weeks. Because I'm good that the word became flesh and I'm good that the spirit wants to use me. But boy, the becoming, whew, man, it's tiring sometimes and it's irritating sometimes and it's painful sometimes. My daughter, Sophia is pregnant. Now here's what I know. I've done it four times with Robin, twice with my daughters. Every woman is so excited when it's the size of an avocado. Because I get all the texts, Dad, did you know it's the size of a grape right now? No, I didn't, but thanks for sharing that. Two weeks later, Dad, guess what? What, honey? It's an avocado. It's the size of an avocado. That is, oh, I love that. A couple of weeks later, Dad, guess what? What? It's an apple. It is an apple. A full apple. Dad, it's a cantaloupe size. Dad, but I've never... Never in all my years, never, not even a woman I know has never sent me something that says it's the size of a watermelon. <laughs> because by the time it's a watermelon, they're like, get this thing out of me. I can't sleep. It's sitting on my bladder. My hips out of joint. I can't lay on my belly. Ah, I want this thing out of me. Right? I've never met a woman yet that's sending pictures about the, the, how big it is with a watermelon. Like the novelty has worn off. So I, yeah, listen, yeah. That was Sophia, and there she goes to birth that baby. <laughs> We're all like, hurry. She's due this month. So it's the becoming, because most people don't do well in the process. We don't like to wait. We don't have a word to stand on. We get disappointed. We don't like pain. I don't like process. And I wonder why the kingdom is not working in my life. So here's what I'm going to teach you. We'll leave you with a question and let you go home. Everything God wants to accomplish on earth. Think about this now this week. Everything God wants to accomplish on earth already existed. We would have to believe that's true. Because the Bible says he created it out of nothing. Everything you see, according to the book of Hebrews, was made out of nothing. That means the nothing it was made out of would only exist within the mind of God. So that means everything we see at some point existed in the mind of God before it ever was a reality. Does that make sense? Yes. I don't want to lose you before you go home. So if God made the earth out of nothing, made it into something, Hebrews 11 will say, then that would tell me this. The real question is, how does God get something to become reality that's already existing? How does he get it from existing in his mind to a reality on earth? How does God go from his wisdom to earthly reality? Now, what we could assume is God has nothing he's trying to do on planet Earth. But what we do know is that God, Jesus, will even be encouraged to let this mind be in you. God is trying to do something. Let my will be done. God is attempting to think, take things that are in his mind. It'll say in Corinthians, I have thoughts you don't even know. I, I, I see things you don't see. I, I see the future. I, I know things you don't know. I have, I, because he's God. I see what you can't see, Mark. I know. In other words, here's what's strange. I'll let you go home with this. God already knows the journey of your life. He, uh, this is weird. He already knows the day you go home. Now you can go home early or you can go home right on time. To go home right on time, I need to make sure that I'm walking with the spirit and he's leading me around temptations and troubles and hardships and 
things that could take my life early because I got fleshly or stupid or foolish or... But God is sitting here going, Mark, do you know what I have for you, son? All I need you to do is intertwine yourself with my spirit and I'm going to begin to download everything I want to do in your life. So that here's, I'll give you the answer. We'll we'll teach it next week. The mind and wisdom of God, we end here. The mind and wisdom of God becoming reality on earth is not a haphazard happenstance. God's manifested heavenly will is more, and this is what I'm going to teach you next week, it's more of a methodical ballet. It's keeping in step with God every single day. It's learning to get in a ballet and a dance with God where he's leading you and you're following his every move And as you follow his every move, it becomes a beautiful dance. But when we get stubborn and start stepping on his toes and trying to lead him, I don't want to go that way. I don't want to spin. You spin. Here, you. It becomes very chaotic. So what I do want you to know when we talk Holy Spirit, we're not talking haphazard fleshly emotions, subjective behavior. When we talk the Holy Spirit, God is trying to have a methodical ballet with you and your feet. And he says, if you will step with me and step with the Spirit, it will blow your mind. And you will produce fruit that will blow your mind. That's where I want to take you. Let's pray. Father.